today on Real Life Radio. The things that are very common to us that we treat as something contemptible are often the most foundational, glorious things of our lives. The roof over our head. I hate this house. Hey, you've got a roof over your head. Are we going to eat there again? Thank God you have a mouth to put food through. It's the matter of the heart. Welcome to Real Life Radio with Pastor Jack Hibbs. I'm David J. thanking you for joining us today as we listen, learn, and are challenged by God's Word, the Bible. On today's edition of Real Life Radio, Pastor Jack now continues his series called The Gospel of Luke with a message called It's a Matter of Life and Death. Now, the Gospel of Luke is a series that gives us both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus Christ as only Luke, a physician, could really see. Here, as we continue in chapter 4, we'll discover that Jesus is a prophecy fulfilled and he's the hope for our salvation. You see, what we've learned so far is that salvation through Jesus Christ is personal. To accept or reject him, well, it's a decision that we've got to make on our own. When Jesus walked here on the earth, there was already enough evidence to follow him, and many lives were changed. And you know what? The same is true today. The Bible, especially here in the Gospel of Luke, gives us Jesus and his message as no one else can. You and I just need to decide what we're going to do with it. So today on this part of the message, Pastor Jack tells us that Jesus is now back in his hometown, and regardless of his fame and miracles, they're treating him with skepticism and with contempt. They viewed him as common, just one of them, and missed his gospel message with their prejudice. Now in his message called, It's a Matter of Life and Death, here's pastor and Bible teacher, Jack Hibbs. Father, we ask you to bless now your word, Lord, your word we love, and today to look at it, Lord, to see, as it were, uh, through a, a pair of binoculars, it's almost as though we were on a, on a cliff looking out down into the valley there to see what's going on as your son Jesus reveals the very nature of your heart. So Father, bless now, bless our hearts to be students, bless our hearts, Lord, to take it in and to live it out. In Jesus' name and all God's people said... Amen. Grab your Bibles then and turn, if you would, to Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 4. And uh, the verses this morning are verses 23 to 30. And we're looking at a message today entitled, It's a Matter of Life and Death. It's a Matter of Life and Death. And we're going to be seeing this this morning in a very, very interesting way, I would think, uh, because of what is surrounding the ministry of Jesus. Luke chapter 4, verses 23 to 30. Look with me, Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 23. Jesus now says to them, You will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have heard done in Capernaum, do also in your country or in your town. Verse 24. Then Jesus said again, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you the truth. Many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up for three and a half years, and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent, except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And, he tells another story, many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. 
Verse 28, so all those in the synagogue, when they had heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up to thrust him out of the city. And they led him out to the brow of a hill, intending which to throw him down. Then passing through the midst of them, he went on his way. What in the world is taking place? Remember, Jesus had been preaching. He had been speaking to them. Do you guys remember the last time we looked at this study? Jesus summons from the attendant the scroll of Isaiah. Do you remember he unfurled the book of Isaiah? And he began to preach. And he said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Remember that? To preach. And he went down that list of itemized issues of the kingdom of God coming among men. And so as he delivered that, the Bible says that all eyes were fixed upon him and he rolled it back up, handed that scroll of the prophet Isaiah to the attendant, sat down and said, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears, in your hearing today. And they were moved by his speech. Remember, they were moved by his teaching. They were moved by just his reading of the scripture because he had personal knowledge of the word of God. And so as he gave it, there was a response. There was a reaction from the people. What was that reaction? They said, boy, he speaks wonderfully and with power, but isn't he the son of Joseph? Remember they spoke in a belittling manner of Jesus? What is all this wonderful news coming out of him? But let's not get too carried away. He's just the son of Joseph. They didn't receive or understand or acclaim him as the son of God. That had been the message since the day of his conception. That had been the message since the day of his birth. That this was none other than God's son come among men. So now some time has elapsed. We are, and scholars uh, estimate that we are probably somewhere from six months to one year into the ministry of Jesus. He had been doing great miracles. He had been doing great works and great teaching and preaching. Everybody had heard about him and he decides to go home. And that's where we see him. He's in his own hometown. And we see the reaction that we're hearing about today. It's a matter of life and death, Christian. Jot it down, number one. Point number one is this. Salvation is a personal event. Will you write that down? And and I'd like you to just circle that word event. Salvation is a personal event. It's a matter of life and death, salvation is. Listen, this morning you might say, well, I can take it or leave it, Jack. I don't really care. Here's the tragic thing about that attitude. You will someday care, terribly care. And it's best to care that you were blessed by God now than to care later when you're carted away from his presence. Salvation, my friend, is a personal event. And when I speak of the word event, I mean that exactly literally. When Christ comes into your life, it ought to affect you radically. It'll change you. He will change you radically. So it's a personal event. We read about this in verses uh, 23 to 24. Uh, It must happen to you and I personally. Listen. Not corporately. And, I, and, and for some, it depends upon how you were brought up spiritually. This is a very, very serious issue. Church, listen carefully. Let us not be like those in Nazareth who saw Jesus as common, as just something that was uh, an entertaining uh, addition to your life. You can take the things of Christ, the things of the Bible, the things of God, and make them common. And in, when that happens, you'll make them corporate. Say, what do you mean? Corporate things are not personal things. There's a time for us to act as one big entity. There's a time for us to act as one big voice. But there's a time that's most important that precedes it about your personal relationship with God. Look at us right here this morning. We are corporately together, aren't we? And so we should be. So the Bible commands this. 
But the reason why we are corporately together is because we have first individually had a personal encounter with God in salvation. I say that for all of you. I trust that's true for all of us. The fact is salvation is personal and it's a matter of life and death. These people missed it. Look with me there in verse 23. It's a personal event, salvation is, because it's a personal decision. You can never come to faith in Christ without making a personal decision. I love the fact that Billy Graham's magazine is called what? Decision. Why? Because that's, that's the first step to salvation. You make a decision. And you'll either make a right decision about Christ or you'll make the wrong decision about Christ. But every one of us hearing this message today is making a decision about Christ. That's for sure. Verse 23 says, Jesus said to them corporately, them together, you will surely say this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever you have heard done in Capernaum, do also in your own country. This word, physician, heal yourself. Don't look it up in the Bible. You'll never find it. It's a proverb not written by Solomon. It's a proverb of that age. It's a proverb of that time. You know, we have one. And I got to tell you, I, I thought it's something that God had said until I wound up getting my life to Christ and, and reading my Bible. I, I would hear my mom say forever, Jack, get up and clean your room because God helps those who help themselves. <laughs> have you ever heard that? Where's that in the Bible? It's not in the Bible. In fact, the opposite's in the Bible. God helps those who cannot help themselves. That's what's in the Bible. But my dear mom, and she was just so cute. My mom was pure Portuguese, about 4'11", maybe 5 feet, maybe, uh, with her shoes on, which she never really wore. She was born and raised in the Hawaiian Islands. And uh, she would just say these things in this broken pigeon English most of the time where my brother and I were trying to figure out, what is she saying? What'd she say? Did you understand what she said? It was hilarious. But we could get that out. God helps those who help themselves, you know. And what is that? Listen, this group of people in the town that Jesus grew up in, they had viewed him as common, and they began to uh, obviously think this thought, for Jesus prophesies and says to them, you will surely quote this to me. You're going to say, physician, heal yourself. What does that mean? It means this. Physician, heal yourself before you attempt to heal me. That's what it means. Physician, fix your own life before you try fixing my life. That's what they were saying to Jesus. Can you imagine? You say, who would say such a thing? People who are missing the gospel message. That's who. People who are too proud. That's who misses such an invitation. Jesus has come to them to love them, to show them the truth. And he knows in their hearts that they're resisting. By the way, he knows in your heart and my heart this morning if you're resisting, if I'm resisting him. So he says, you're going to tell me, physician, heal yourself. I've anticipated that. They would have nodded their head in agreement. Yep, we were just about to tell you, before you tell us how to run our lives, run your own life. That's that nasty statement. I think we all understand that. By the way, this word... Uh, to heal yourself, the Greek meaning means heal your own diseases, apply your own cure, find your own remedy. That's what that word means. Jesus, find your own remedy before you tell us anything. Isn't that rude? Jesus, cure, your, cure yourself first. Heal yourself. They were implying that he was just like themselves. Never view God as common. It's a dangerous thing. And so... 
They're, they're challenging him this, in this manner. All this based upon, if you remember Luke 4, just a few verses back, verses 21 to 22, it says that he began to say to them, today is this scripture fulfilled in your hearing. There's no doubt about it. Again, verse 22 says, is this not Joseph's son? That common thinking in their minds led them to this 23rd verse. They're going to say, heal yourself. Why? Because they saw Christ as somebody as common. Salvation is a personal event because it demands a personal decision. When they say whatever you have done, uh, these miracles in Capernaum do also here, they are admitting that Jesus' fame has spread all around. He's been doing all these miracles. They knew the data, my friend. They knew the facts. People were attesting to the fact, this is my son. He was blind, now he can see. People had heard that stuff. By the way, have you heard what people and, and, and your friends, maybe your family, have been touched by God? Have you heard about that? Yeah. Has there been a change in their life? Yeah. How do you think that's happened? God is at work. There's miracles. God does them. You say, well, I've never seen anybody's arm grow back. Maybe you don't have to see someone's arm grow back to believe in a miracle. But there are miracles happening often. But that's not the point. The point is God changes people's lives. And the people of Nazareth had heard about this, but they were not willing or ready to accept. Uh, the evidence, again, was overwhelming. They had enough evidence to make a decision or to make a ruling about Jesus, and they were fighting that thing. They were resisting that truth. Their prejudice had swayed the evidence. And those things, by the way, that are most important to us often, we so often hold in contempt. Things that are common. When somebody becomes common to us, we often don't give them the common courtesy that we do to other people. Uh, that's why working on a family is such a hard thing to do. Why is a family so difficult? And you know this from the moment you, you get engaged to somebody, then you get married and you're married along and there's some years go by and then there's a baby and then there's another baby and life happens. What happens? That family's got to work at loving one another because familiarity, this is one of our proverbs, right, of our age that you don't read in the Bible. Familiarity breeds contempt. I see him every day. I see her every morning I roll over. There she is, or there he is. Watch out for that. Watch out for that. By the way, if you're rolling over and you see that face every morning, make the best of it. Love them. Encourage them. Listen, because you think, well, I'm going to get me a new face to roll over to in the morning. That's not the answer, because after all the glitz rolls away and all the uh, hype is gone, you're going to be saying the same thing. I look at that mug every morning when I get up. It's the matter of the heart. The things that are very common to us that we treat as something contemptible are often the most foundational, glorious things of our lives. The roof over our head. I hate this house. Hey, you've got a roof over your head. Well, I don't have any clothes. Well, you're not naked. You got something. Be thankful. Are we going to eat there again? Thank God you have a mouth to put food through. You know, the things that are so foundational to us, we often view as common. In love, in a family, even in a church, we've got to work at loving each other. God forbid that we would hold or view one another contemptible because of commonality. We should actually warm up to that. And they're not warming up to Jesus. And it's a very sad thing. But the strike against Jesus, sad to say, is that he had grown up with them there. He had grown up in that, that very town. 
Second thing I want you to see, salvation is a personal event under this point, is this. It's a personal event because it's a personal choice. The decision, yes, the choice. Choices come out of our decisions. We make a decision in our mind, and then the choice is placed before us, and we're going to embark upon that choice. Jesus says, verse 24, Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. Matthew puts it this way. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 13, verse 57, it says that they were offended at Jesus because Jesus said to them, a prophet receives honor and respect everywhere he goes except in his own country and among his own family. Boy, do we not know that? How many of you are Christians? Raise your hand. How many of you are Christians and you have non-Christian relatives? Yeah. When you pull up, with your Bible in hand and your cross around your neck and your sticker on the back of your car, do they just open the door to their house, your, their house and say, come on in and preach to us. Come on in and tell us about God. We've been waiting for you to come. Are you kidding? We pull up and they close the door. <laughs> oh man. I remember the first Thanksgiving, I was a Christian. Got saved in June. Thanksgiving came in November. I just, I couldn't wait to pray. My mom and dad set us all down. We're sitting there and I'm going to pray. Oh, go ahead. And I thought, man, I'm going to pray. And I prayed the gospel. I just prayed the gospel. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for us. And third day, right? As soon as, as, soon as I said, amen, my brother is about ready to kill me. I mean, he was so upset. It's amazing. Thank God that all changed. But a prophet has honor everywhere he goes. You as a Christian, People who don't know you, they love you. But it's your family that knows all the personal stuff. But yet, the truth should be this. Because the family knows all the personal stuff, when they see the change that's happened in our lives, shouldn't they be the first ones to come to Christ? The answer is yes, if their hearts are right. Isn't that what we read in the book of Acts? One guy gets saved, goes home, and the whole family gets saved? When your heart's right, you'll receive what God does in people's lives. You want that done in your life. You wind up seeing the decision that was made, and you see the choice that they make, and you want to make that same choice as well. These people are choosing not to honor Jesus Christ. By the way, Matthew, as I said, uh, uses the word offended. The word in Greek is uh, scandalized. You ever heard that word before? They were embarrassed about Jesus Christ. And so the challenge this morning to us is that we, will, we'll, we make a personal choice about Jesus Christ, no matter what kind of scandal it might produce. Another thing, verse 24, salvation is a personal event because it's a personal act. It's an act. It's something that you make the decision, you make the choice, and then you stand upon it. And this is a, something to keep in mind. You know, we, we so often talk about this word, have you accepted have you accepted Jesus Christ? Have you ever heard that? Have you received Jesus Christ? Where does that come from? That statement, that word is not found in the Bible exactly, but it comes out of this passage right here. They were scandalized. They were offended. They did not accept this prophet, Jesus, with honor. And so we'll ask today, have you accepted Christ? What does that mean? Have you, listen, church, have you chosen decided to honor Jesus Christ. That's what it means. They didn't honor him then, but you can honor him now. Those who did believe in him then honored him by this willful act of receiving him or accepting him. So when we say, have you accepted Christ? That's the great question. Have you received or accepted Christ? 
We could change the question today and it would be just as accurate. Have you honored Christ? And that's what we need to ask ourselves. That's what we need to ask people um, when we invite them about Jesus. Have you, have you received Christ? Well, they might say yes. Why do they say yes? Because it's common. It's common to say yes. Have, have you accepted? Have you received Jesus? Yes. Oh, but wait a minute. The true definition is, have you honored Christ? What is the honoring of Christ? It's a beautiful thing. If I send you an invitation to come to my home for dinner and you either don't respond or you respond by saying, drop dead, you didn't honor me. I'm honored. If you accept my invitation, I'm honored by your invitation. I accept it. I, I issue it. You say yes. And by you saying yes, I'm honored that you would come. God says, please come to heaven. Please accept my son. Honor him. Honor what he's done for you. We don't answer. We send back a note. No. This is what that city, this is what that town was doing. Very sad. In John chapter 5, verse 23, John 5, 23 and 24, the Bible says that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. How so? By honoring the son, by giving respect, by giving value. Jesus is about, though, here to give an example about honoring and accepting. And it's going to be quite shocking. You need to hang on to your seat. I, I pray, and I've been praying this, God, may we be able to grasp the magnitude of what we're about to read here. Jesus is surrounded. Please don't be offended by this. It's just accurate. Jesus is in Nazareth. He is surrounded by uh, Jews. He himself is a Jew in a synagogue. Okay? This is the setting. So all of you have sandals on. All of you have robes on. All you men, you have your little kippah or yarmulke on. And all the women, you have the... Uh, veil over your head. We're all there 2,000 years ago. Here's this guy speaking to you. Very famous. People have been following him. There's all kinds of rumors going on about him. He, he can raise the dead. He can open the eyes of the blind. It's been, it's been a, a interesting ever since we heard about his mom being pregnant. It's been wild to say the least. Some say angels even showed up at his birth and a lot of stuff surrounding him. You're all there. Watch what happens. You guys, the gospel's come to you. You don't want it. Miracles have been done. You keep testing God. And this starts to upset these Jewish people because they believed that they not only had God, they had God exclusively. In fact, they had the Ark of the Covenant. They had God in a box. Like lunch, he was in a box. You wanted to go see God, you go to the temple, he's in the box. Never put God in a box. It doesn't work. Pastor and Bible teacher, Jack Hibbs, here on Real Life Radio with his message called, It's a Matter of Life and Death. Thanks for being with us today. And you know, this message is part of Pastor Jack's new series called The Gospel of Luke. It's a series on the book of Luke and the unveiling of Jesus Christ to this world. And we'll continue on the next edition of Real Life Radio. You know, if you feel like end times prophecy is too challenging or impossible to piece together, we have a remarkable resource for you. 
Pastor Jack's Book of the Month is called Understanding End Times Prophecy by Paul N. Benware. Why even study Bible prophecy? Does it matter today? What happens in the future? Benware shows us that the person who knows prophetic truths and orders their life according to these truths will live a better life right now. The study of Bible prophecy reminds us that God is good and motivates us toward rightful living today while giving us hope for tomorrow. Jesus said it himself, these things I've told you in advance, that when they happen, you will know that I am the eternal self-containing God. So get your copy and one for your friends on one of the finest works of its kind on the subject. Understanding End Times Prophecy by Paul N. Benware is yours for a gift of any amount. And it's available at our website, jackhibbs.com. That's jackhibbs.com. This program is made possible by the generous contributions of you, our listeners. Visit us at jackhibbs.com. That's jackhibbs.com. Until next time, Pastor Jack Hibbs and all of us here at Real Life Radio wish for you solid and steady growth in Christ and in His Word. We'll see you next time here on Real Life Radio.